Good evening. We're going to be studying together in the book of Habakkuk in the third chapter. If you want to go ahead and be turning there in your Bibles. Habakkuk has been given some very bad news. Uh, How is he going to respond to the bad news, right? Uh, the, The news that he's gotten in the first two chapters is the worst of news. How do we respond to terrible news? When bad things happen to us, what do we do? Uh, A kid throws a baseball into the TV that you just bought. What do you do? A a spouse runs over one of your cars with another of your cars. What do you do? How do you respond to bad news? When bad things happen, what are you going to do? Well, we're about to see what Habakkuk is going to do with the worst news. God has revealed to Habakkuk His plans to judge Judah with the Babylonians, a worse nation than Judah is. And he's given Habakkuk no good news mixed in. Sometimes you might say, well, I've got the bad news and I've got the good news. Do you want the bad news or the good news? Well, it's all bad news. Habakkuk is, is... not hearing anything good come out of God other than the righteous will be saved by His faith. That's it. That's the best of news. There's no, the righteous will live a peaceful life on this earth. It's all bad. As we study the third chapter of Habakkuk, we see Habakkuk's response to this bad news is a prayer offered to God. Habakkuk responds to the worst news of his life by praying a prayer to God. It's a prayer that's a lot like a psalm that we might read of David. It it even ends with, to the choir master, with stringed instruments. It, It seems as though this is very much like a psalm. Habakkuk is offering up to God. I'd like to start out reading the first two verses of this prayer. It says in verse 1, A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shigianoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk starts out his prayer with this statement, I have heard the report of you, O Lord. I have heard of your work, and your work do I fear. He is afraid. After hearing of the work of the Lord, he is afraid, and he asks God still to revive it. Isn't that interesting? Why would he say that? I've heard of your work, and I'm afraid of it. But I'm asking you to revive it. What work could Habakkuk be talking about? If somebody says, I've heard the report of you, how does that make you feel? Oh, well, I hope it's good news, you know. (laughs) What has Habakkuk heard of God's work? What is the main event of Israel and and God going back from the time of Habakkuk? It has to be God's work in Egypt, right? This is the central work of God that is being remembered three times a year in their feast. This is the work of God to remove God's people from slavery 
and and to set them free and to be their God and for Him to be their people. That work of God to, to set His people free. Seems like that's what Habakkuk is remembering. And he fears it because he sees that God is all-powerful, God is controlling, God is able to, to work all kinds of things in order to give judgment as He did against Egypt. He's now proclaiming He's going to do that against Judah. He's afraid of, of what God is planning. So in wrath, he asked God to remember mercy. Well, that's interesting. You think God somehow overlooks mercy? <laughs> He's, he's inflicting all this wrath and he gets, he gets so worked up, he goes overboard and he just forgot to be merciful. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? That word mercy is the Hebrew word hased. I don't really dig into Hebrew and Greek words because I don't know much of anything. But hased is one we need to know. Hased is a big deal. Hased is God's covenant faithfulness, His steadfast love for His people. So when Habakkuk says, in your wrath, remember mercy, he's talking about God's covenant faithfulness. Remember your steadfast love. Remember your covenant faithfulness for your people. He's begging God to be true to His character. God has shown Himself to be a God that's full of compassion and mercy and steadfast love. And He's asking God to remember to still be this way. This is the way God was toward Moses on Mount Sinai. You remember He reveals Himself to be this way. And Moses remembers that and asks God to remember His said over and over again for God's people. This is the setup to the prayer. Okay? This is setting up all the prayer that we're about to be studying. Habakkuk says, I've heard of your work. I've heard of what you have done before with Egypt and, and bringing the people out of slavery. And he's asking God to revive his work and remember said, Remember covenant faithfulness. Remember who you have proclaimed yourself to be. God has said that He will fill the earth with the knowledge of His glory in response to Habakkuk. And now Habakkuk, it seems, is asking God to show it. To, to do what He has done in the past over again. This, this helps us to understand as we go into this prayer what He's talking about. There's two sections in this prayer that are pretty complicated. So I want you to hang in there with me as we study through these sections. There's really neat, amazing images that are given to us. So I want us to use our imaginations and picture these things happening as Habakkuk is talking to us about God's work. Egypt and and being removed from the captivity is the building block on which he builds the rest of his prayer. So we're going to see that as we study together. Let's read verses 3 through 7. He says, God came from Taman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of His praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from His hand, 
And there He veiled His power. Before Him went pestilence, and plague followed at His heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Let's stop right there and, and, and try to figure out what this section is about. Notice the, the wordage that's being used here as he talks about God coming from, from Taman and Paran. He says he's, splendor is covering him. Splendor covers him. As he comes down, brightness like the light, raised flash from his hand. You've got this splendor and beautiful vision of God coming down, covered in splendor, beauty, light, and everything. But it says, before him went pestilence in verse 5. And plague followed at his heels. There's this mixture of beauty and terror In God coming. What is he talking about? Why does he talk about God coming from Taman and he's got this beauty and he's also got this terror along with it? Is this got something to do with the Babylonians coming? Right? That's what this whole book's been about. Is he talking about Babylonians coming into the 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 Israel and conquering? Well, It's interesting whenever you look at this, you you notice he says he's coming from Taman. Taman is Edom in the south, okay? Babylon is uh, to the northeast of Israel, and Taman is to the south, is where Edom is. Paran is the mountain uh, that's on the northern edge of the Sinai Peninsula, okay? Whenever we look at where God is coming from, as he comes in, to conquer like with all this splendor and all these bad things happening, we see that He comes from Paran, and that's important. Paran is an important location because it's where Moses goes and he talks to the people in Deuteronomy before they enter the Promised Land. Okay? So, He's giving us a hint of something that that He wants us to consider or think about. You might notice at the end of verse 3 it says Salah. That means pause and think. Pause and reflect about this. He's coming from Taman. He's coming from Paran. What does that mean? Well, it's interesting that Habakkuk uses Deuteronomy 33 in this section. A lot of the, the image that we see in, in Deuteronomy 33, you know, having these, this light in his hand and, and pestilence and plague and all of these things seem like they're referring to, to Moses blessing the people of Israel before they're going to go into the promised land and conquer. Well, why would Habakkuk go there? What is it about this time period that Habakkuk wants to reflect on in a prayer that he's offering to God in response to the bad news that he's heard. What is it that he's doing? Israel's in the wilderness still, but they're about to enter the promised land. 
They're about to go into the land where God is going to conquer their enemies. If Israel will put their faith and their trust in God, God will conquer their enemies and they will enter into the promised land. Is there really a more glorious time for Israel than this? For God than this? This is a time when God shows who He is, what He can do to all the nations of the earth. I love how it's worded in verse 6. It says, He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. You get the picture of God. He's planning something, right? And He's looking. He's, he's got a plan and He's got an idea of where He wants to go. But then look. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. The eternal mountains are not so eternal anymore, is what he's saying. God is the only one who is eternal. These nations that are in the promised land think that they're eternal. Think that they will last forever. But who is eternal? Only God is eternal. Habakkuk is remembering this point Because he knows that all these nations that God is about to come in and conquer, they're all just temporary compared to God. What an interesting idea for him to be thinking about as he is praying to God and contemplating the bad news that's happening. God has entered into the promised land and conquering His enemies He is showing great Hesed as He conquers the nations with great power. He's remembering the works of God that He fears and He's asking God to revive it, to conquer God's enemies and to bring God's people into the promised land. This section shows us God's faithfulness to Israel by bringing them into the promised land. That's part of the work of God that Habakkuk wants to think about and and wants Israel to focus on as he has this prayer read in the worship assemblies. Um, Verse 7, it says, I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction, the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Cushan is a ruler uh, that attacked and oppressed Israel as a judgment of God. And Midian is a group of people that also attacked Israel. And God rose up Othniel and God rose up Gideon to provide salvation. This text is again referring to God's said, God's steadfast love protecting Israel, bringing them into the promised land and providing them with salvation. It's Isn't this interesting that that God has done these things and that that Habakkuk is remembering these things to help encourage himself and to encourage all Israel as as they take in all the bad news that's about to happen to them? Well, he doesn't end there. All this uh, work of God that He's taken into account, God coming and, and conquering all the nations in the promised land and delivering uh, this nation into the promised land, that's just the start. As you keep reading, we read in verses 8 through 15 more about God's work. 
Verse 8 says, Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea? When you rode in, when you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation, you stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The raging, uh, the deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. Wow. This is, a, this is a vivid image, right? This is a vivid picture for us. What does this image have in it? What, what all does this say about God coming and what is God doing? Notice it, it points to God as, as coming in on horses, on a chariot of salvation. He's riding in to save the day, right? On these chariots of salvation. He's going to come in and He's going to conquer the enemy. He's going to destroy. But notice, He comes down from heaven above. He says, You strip the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. And then notice it says, The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood in there. All of this is pictures for us of nature responding to God coming in salvation. The mountains are terrified. The rivers are terrified. Everything is is standing in awe of God as He acts. The sun and moon stand still watching as God comes in on His chariot of salvation. He comes in and He crushes the head of the wicked, right? That's an obvious reference for us of Genesis and what God said He was going to do. He's going to crush the head of the wicked. He comes in and He crushes the head of the wicked and He saves His people. Is this talking about what what God's going to do in the future with with Babylon? What where, what does he what does he mean here? Well, this is a continuation of God's work, a description about God's work. Habakkuk has been thinking about the work of God, and he has thought about God bringing them into the promised land, but. 
when did this happen? When did God ride in on a chariot of salvation and crush the head of the wicked and all nature was standing in awe of all this happening? Do you remember that in any of your Bible stories? Well, it's interesting that whenever we read this, we get to verse 13, and it says, You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. Who could that be talking about? Who is the anointed? Well, we would have to say that's David, right? That has to be David. David is the anointed. Saul was anointed as well, but David's the anointed. David's the guy. So you start thinking about when did God save David? Well, there's multiple instances, right? Whenever we go to the Psalms, what we see is a lot of similar wording to what Habakkuk is using here can be found in Psalm 18. It's also repeated in Psalm 22. There's there's something about Psalm 18 that Habakkuk is using to remember the work of God in saving David. If you will, please turn uh, for a second. Put your marker there on Habakkuk 3 and turn back to Psalm 18. It's interesting that he uses this psalm. What we, whenever we turn here, we can, we can kind of understand why he's using this psalm. What it is about this psalm that's so important. And it helps us to remember David and, and who David is as he wrote this psalm. The introduction to the psalm says this, uh, To the choir master, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord... On the day when the Lord rescued him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So this introduction to the psalm helps us to understand this is the deliverance psalm of David. Habakkuk has gone to the deliverance psalm of David to pull information to put into his psalm. Let's read the first 12 verses of this psalm, okay? First 12 verses. All 50 verses are really cool. I encourage you to read this at home on your own. It's a really neat psalm. But just to get a taste, let's read the first 12 verses. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock. A phrase Habakkuk has used earlier in his book. And my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompass me. The torrents of destruction assail me. The cords of Sheol entangle me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress I called upon the Lord. To my God I cried for help. From His temple... He heard my voice, and my cry to Him reached His ears. Listen to this. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because He was angry. Smoke went up from His nostrils and devouring fire from His mouth. 
Great coals flamed forth from Him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under His feet. He rode, He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness His covering, His canopy around Him. Thick clouds, dark with water. Out of the brightness before Him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through His clouds. You get the picture of God again coming and and bringing salvation as He rides in on these cherubim. Why does Habakkuk use this Message, or as you look through the whole psalm, he uses this psalm multiple times. There's, there's a, like 10 or 15 at least quotations out of this psalm that he uses and he pulls into his own psalm. We see that it's because David is another model for Habakkuk of God's steadfast love. David has cried out to God just like Habakkuk has cried out to God. And we see God gets angry with David, with with David's enemies. God is angry also with Habakkuk's enemies. God comes down riding on cherub. Now the idea of cherub is interesting whenever we think about Ezekiel. Remember the image of Ezekiel? The cherubim, they have the wheels that go with them, like a, like a chariot kind of an idea. So he comes down riding these, cher- these cherubim for the salvation of his anointed. He rescues David just like Habakkuk wants to be rescued because he always shows said toward David and toward Israel. Isn't this fascinating that, that he goes to David... Because David is this model of someone who is enduring great suffering even though he is God's anointed. And he's finding God to be faithful and trustworthy and provide the salvation that he desires. This is important. First of all, he goes through and looks at God conquering the nations and bringing Israel into the promised land. Now, he talks about David being saved from his enemies. And we know that God brought David into the kingship. And then God cleared out all of David's enemies and all of Israel's enemies. And set Israel up at the highest place. They are the kingdom of all kingdoms. Ruling over all the kingdoms of the earth. This is what Habakkuk is thinking about. This is the work Habakkuk is remembering that he has heard about God, that he is considering along with the bad news that he has heard about Judah being judged. He remembers what God did with Israel to give them everything to bring them into the promised land, to set them up at the highest place as the kingdom of all kingdoms. God cleared the earth to establish His rule among the nations. Habakkuk remembers that before he gives his response. The last part of Habakkuk, 
You go back to Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 16. The last part of Habakkuk is really Habakkuk's response. Like, if you were to cut out this little section and put this at the end of chapter 2 and ended the book, it all would have made sense. But, but all this stuff that we've just learned up until this point helps to prepare us and helps us understand why Habakkuk responds the way that he responds. Let's, let's read Habakkuk's response. Verse 16. I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail. And the fields yield no food. The flocks be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on the high places. Wow. After all that Habakkuk has considered and all that he has heard, Habakkuk has determined that he will remain faithful to God. This is his choice. This is his response to the bad news, the worst of news. Did you notice how he still mentions he's terrified? I mean, how many of us would not be terrified of what what the news is? Okay. A nation's about to come in. A nation's about to destroy America. Uh, They're awful. They're the worst of nations. The government is oppressive. Uh, You think taxes are bad. You know, it's going to get worse. Not only that. Tens of thousands of people that you know. People you've seen all the time. Gone. Slaughtered. And not just that. All these grocery stores, you know, the million publics that we have in our county, they're all empty. When they were coming in and killing everybody, they thought it would be a good idea to take all the food with them. Whenever they left. Yet Habakkuk has said he will remain faithful to God. Not only that, Habakkuk has said, I will rejoice in God. I will rejoice in God. We experience a power outage and we're like, oh man, (laughs) why did you do this to me, God? The market crashes. God, what are you doing? It's losing everything. And yet he says, I will rejoice in the Lord. How would we feel if this was our future? I don't think that this would be the first response for, for many of us. And, and surely we know that people around us would probably go crazy at the idea that everything they've gotten so used to is taken away from them. 
really, if you think about it, God who attacked all of Israel's enemies for all this time, and and God who had set up Israel to be the, the greatest of kingdoms is now coming against Israel. That's terrifying. No wonder Habakkuk is terrified. But yet he says, I will rejoice in the Lord. This shows the level of faith Habakkuk has in God. Now, is Habakkuk special? Is there some special quality about Habakkuk? Does God instill in Habakkuk some great faith that that we could never attain, that we could never acquire? Remember the first part of this prayer? How did Habakkuk come to this faith? He remembers what God has done in the past. All of that first part of this prayer is to help us understand how he can say, in the midst of all the suffering he's about to endure, I will rejoice in the Lord. What did we learn? We learned that God can be Habakkuk's rock like He was David's rock. Like He was Israel's rock. And God can be our rock too. Just like Habakkuk looks on the work of God and learns about God's said, His faithfulness, His steadfast love for His people. As he studies the Word and as he learns who God is, so can we. What does our study look like? This is a powerful message for us. Right? Whenever we we open up our Bibles, this is our opportunity to learn who God is. Habakkuk goes there desperately learning who God is. And we can learn as well. We can find hope. We can find faith as well. Our study can help us to learn who God is, like Habakkuk did. This is our goal. As we open up God's Word, we want to understand what God has done for His people. You know, if you're like me, whenever... You start studying the Bible. It becomes, uh, okay, now what do I need to do to please God? What do I need to stop doing to stop pleasing God? You know, What do I need to change in my life? How can I become better and, and become a better person? And I get focused in on that kind of stuff. But eventually, I finally started to see who God is. And then eventually we grow to where we love God. It's not just about learning what I need to do and what I need to stop doing. It becomes about learning who God is and loving Him for who He is. We talked about the word said, The faithfulness of God. That steadfast love of God. It's revealed to us in the Old Testament. But as we get into the New Testament, what do we find? We find Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate example for us to understand God's faithfulness. To understand God's steadfast love. 
We have more than Habakkuk has. As we open up our Bibles, the Old Testament's full of it. And we can learn a ton about who God is, especially as we study the prophets. But when we open up the New Testament, when we read about the life of Jesus, we can fall in love with God because we learn about His love for us. He loves us enough to give us His only Son on the cross. That's helping us with knowing God. And if we know God like this, if our understanding of who God is grows and we grow to love God, then we will be able to respond like Habakkuk does. I asked at the beginning of the sermon, how do you respond with bad news? This affects how you respond to bad news. Do you know who God is? Are you taking the time to open up the Bible to see who God is? We have to do that. We have to open up the Bible. We have to learn about God. We have to open not to just learn what I what I need to do to be good and, and to be loved by God and what I need to stop doing, but we have to open it up to learn who God is, to have a relationship with Him. It's essential for us to rejoice when the grocery stores are empty. <laughs> for us to remember we have a God who is still faithful, who still loves us, who still wants us, even though we're terrible people and we make all kinds of mistakes. When we remember the work of God in the past, as we study the Word, we see over and over again God's people failing miserably, and we see over and over again God being patient, compassionate, merciful, faithful to His covenant. And we can know that the work of God is always for the good of those who love Him. And we can be encouraged to rejoice in the Lord. Habakkuk prayed for God's work to be revived. Because God was His rock. Is that your prayer? Do you desire God's work to go on even if it means I have to suffer? Do we desire God's praise and God's glory and the knowledge of it to spread all over the earth? That's what we're all about. That's what we're here for. If anybody here has not obeyed the gospel and not become a child of His, He wants you to know that He desires for you to love Him as He loves you. He desires for you to know Him, to understand His steadfast love, to understand His steadfast faithfulness, and to grow, to become faithful, and to trust God like Habakkuk, like David, as much as possible in this life. If anybody here has not responded and you know you need to, please come as we stand and as we sing.